Welcome to the sermon podcast for Canton Church, a campus of Mount Perrin North. We exist to help people live a Christ-centered life, especially those disconnected from Christ. And we hope you are encouraged by today's message. Well, good morning and welcome to the Sunday that you are all just bitter because everyone on Facebook's at the beach and you're in Canton, Georgia, where everything is yellow and you can't stop sneezing and it's miserable. But I'm so glad that even though you're boycotting social media because you don't want to see everybody's picture at Disney World or on cruises or at the beach or wherever they're having fun, and you're in Canton, Georgia, I'm so glad that you did not boycott church this morning. We're still here. We're still going strong, even though we're angry at everyone who's posting the beach pictures, right? It's okay to admit it. It's okay to admit it. We all wish that we were on the beach somewhere and not in Canton, Georgia, sneezing our brains out. Welcome pollen season. It comes with a mighty fist. Every year it kills me, so if I grab a drink of water... It's not because I'm not interested in talking to you. It's because allergies are literally killing me today. But I'm so glad to be here with you. I'm so honored that Pastor Jeremy, Pastor Mark, Pastor Mark is at our Marietta campus this morning speaking, and Pastor Jeremy is in Louisville, Kentucky, preaching at his brother's church this morning. So I'm excited for him to be up there. But I'm so honored that with both of them out, they gave me the privilege to be here to speak to you this morning. I don't take it lightly that every chance I get to come and share on Sunday morning, I get that opportunity often on Wednesday nights, but I'm excited any chance they give me the opportunity to come and to speak to you guys. So they're not here, but I'll think to the video, thank you so much to both of them for allowing me this privilege to speak to you guys this morning. As Pastor Jeremy said a second ago on the video, we are in week four of our five-week Jesus is series, and I will be continuing that, talking about Jesus is light today. When I was in high school, I was in a science class. I don't remember what science class it was. That probably is because I didn't pay much attention to the science class. But I had a science class, and a part of that class, we took a field trip to, at the time, it was the Bodies Exhibit. I don't know if you remember when the Bodies Exhibit was a big thing. It was popular. It would travel to different cities around the nation, even globally. But we went down. It was at Atlantic Station, and we went down to go to the Bodies Exhibit at Atlantic Station. And it was weird and a little kind of gross. Even if you've been there, you know exactly what I mean. It was just weird. And then we left out of there, and we went and got lunch, which is even like I didn't know how I felt about eating after seeing what I had just seen at the bodies exhibit. But then while we were down there, we'd already missed the day. There was no way we were going to get back for any of our afternoon classes. So they just made it a full day field trip. We went and we did what they had called the dialogue in the dark. Dialogue in the dark was another thing at that time that was at Atlantic Station where you got to go in and you got to experience what it would be like to be a completely legally blind person. So you went into this big warehouse it was completely dark. You couldn't see your hand in front of your face. And they gave you, and I'm sorry, I don't know the correct terminology, but they gave you the sticks that you would use to make sure that you didn't run in 
to anything in front of you. And that was probably a worse idea than not giving to to us at all because you hand a group of 17-year-old guys sticks and it's dark. We're going to do nothing but smack people in the back of the head with it. And so it was a terrible idea, but we had a tour guide that took us through this and the tour guide was a blind person because it was their daily life and who better to teach us and train us how to move through this experience than someone who has lived this out for their entire life. So we went down and we started out and you're on like city streets. It was really cool. You're on like city streets and you have to try to make sure you stay on the sidewalk and not end up in the road. And they had like cars parked on the road to simulate what it would be like if you had to do this in your life. Then there was a park that you went through and there were park benches you could sit on and you could walk into the grass. It was artificial grass, but you could walk into the grass or stay on the path. Then you went into this grocery store, and that was really cool trying to figure out, like, okay, this has got to be the cold section because I stuck my hand in here and it's cold. And so it's just really interesting trying to figure all of those things out. And then finally, you went into what they had set up to be like a cafe. And in the cafe, they wanted every person that was there to purchase something just so, again, you could get this experience. So I ordered a Coke, and I'm sitting there, and I'm sure they brought out a bottle of Coke kind of like that, and I'm sure they probably overcharged me. It's probably like four fifty for a Coke because they're going to make their money off of me some way, right? And so, you know, I pull out my wallet, and they had this little machine that I would set my money on, and it would scan, and it would tell me the amount that that bill was. It was really cool. I don't know if it didn't lie to me. I don't know that I didn't, like, set a 20 on there, and it's like $1, and they just totally took tons of money from me. But it was a really cool experience going down and doing the dialogue in the dark. Now, i got to be honest with you. I was terrible at it. They gave me the stick. I was one of the 17-year-old guys who thought it'd be more fun than actually use the stick to just use it to trip other people or to smack people on the back of the head with it. But I was terrible. At one point, we're in the city, and we're supposed to be on the sidewalk, and somehow I was in the middle of the road. And the tour guide, like, we were kind of cutting up because we're high schoolers. The tour guide was a little more serious than us. But he was like, if this was real life, you would be dead because a car would have hit you. I'm like, I'm sorry. Like, I don't know what I'm doing. I'm really bad at this. But I was not good at it. And when the tour ended and we opened the doors and went back out into the light at Atlantic Station, I was so grateful for light. I was so grateful that there was light coming from the sun, coming from other lights that illuminated it to where I was able to see. Today, I've already mentioned it, but today... We're going to be looking at Jesus is light in our Jesus is series. In John chapter 8, verse 12, it says, When Jesus spoke again to the people, he said, I am the light of the world. Whoever follows me will never walk in darkness, but will have the light of life. There's a story found in John chapter 9, just one chapter after Jesus is saying that he is the light of the world. In John chapter 9, there's a story where Jesus heals a blind man. Spoiler alert, I'm sorry, that's where we're going today. But Jesus heals this blind man. But we're going to look verse by verse at this story, starting in verse 1. And I'm going to stop, and I've got some points and some talking points about each of these verses. And we'll work through this narrative together today, if that is okay with you. In John chapter 9, starting in verse 1, it says, As he went along... He saw a man, referring to Jesus, as he went along, he saw a man blind from 
birth. The first point that we can learn from this story today is the extent of our issues are not too big for God. I love that right up front, we know Jesus is going to heal a blind man, but right up front, it lets us know that this wasn't just a short-term situation. It lets us know that this wasn't something that just happened a couple of weeks ago. He's sick, that it might just naturally heal itself. It lets us know that he wasn't like 13 and him and his friends were throwing rocks at each other because for some reason, 13-year-old guys like to throw rocks at each other. It wasn't that that caused him to lose his blindness. This was something he's dealt with for his entire life. Since birth, his whole life, he's been blind. I love that it tells us that up front. Because what that lets me know is there's no situation in my life too big for God. It doesn't matter if it's something that I've been dealing with for a couple of years or even longer than that. It doesn't matter if it's something that I've dealt with my entire life. It's not too big for God. I've sometimes thought that if I've got a problem or a situation in my life, it's kind of like this iPhone flashlight when God's ability to change the situation, to fix the situation, that I can see really good right here. If it was dark in this room, I would be able to use this flashlight to see something right here because it's close. It's not a big problem. It's not that far off, but it's just right here that I can use the power of God to do something, to change something when it's close, but I can't use this to reach that corner up there. This flashlight's not strong enough to reach there, but if I take this flashlight... I can see really good into these corners up here. It's powerful. It has a much stronger light than this does. This doesn't have the same power for that corner as this does for that corner. And sometimes I have viewed God's power and I have viewed his light into my life as the smaller light sometimes. That if it's a really small problem, then God can do something about it. If it's something that I've just dealt with for a couple of weeks, a couple months, maybe a couple of years, that God's power is strong enough to reach down into that situation and to illuminate it. But if it's a really big issue that I've dealt with for a long time, it's not strong enough. But I love that this story, right off the bat, it tells us, hey, it doesn't matter how big the problem is, God's light is big enough to extend to the bottom of it. Continuing the story, verse 2, it says, His disciples asked him, Rabbi, who sinned, this man or his parents, that he was born blind? Jesus responded and said, Neither this man nor his parents sinned, but this happened so that the works of God might be displayed in him. The second thing that we see as a hindrance, the second thing that we can learn from this story, I'm sorry, is what we see as a hindrance is an opportunity for the miraculous. There's a man named Nick Vajusic, and you'll see his picture right up here on the screen in just a moment. Nick was born without any arms and without any legs. You may have heard of Nick before. You may have seen him speak somewhere, or you've heard about him, or you've read one of his books, but he was born from birth with no arms and no legs. He's got a ministry that he started, and on his ministry's website, it says this. It says, my name is Nick, and I'm 33 years old. I was born without arms or legs and given no medical reason for this condition. Faced with countless challenges and obstacles, God has given me the strength to surmount what others might call impossible. My greatest joy in this life 
is to introduce Jesus to those I meet and tell them of his great desire to get to know them personally by allowing him to become their Lord and Savior. That's what life without limbs, that's his ministry. That's what life without limbs is all about. In Psalms 139, 13 and 14, this is Nick saying, it says, the Bible says, for you created my inmost being. You knit me together in my mother's womb. I praise you because I am fearfully and wonderfully made. Your works are wonderful. I know that full well. And this is one of my favorite quotes that I have heard any human being say. Nick says, if God can use a man without arms and legs to be his hands and feet, then he will certainly use any willing heart. There's a man sitting there blind from birth. They're walking by, and the disciples say to Jesus, hey, who messed up so that this happened to him? Did his parents sin? Is that why he's blind? Did he sin? Did he mess up? Did he do something wrong? And that's why, as a punishment, he's blind? And Jesus responds to them, and he says, but this happened so that the works of God might be displayed in him. There's a man named Nick, who God has traveled to 63 countries through. He is literally the hands and feet of Jesus with no arms and no legs. He goes and he proclaims the gospel. And that's a guy who very easily could have just been angry towards God. He could have hated God. God, why me? Why was I born this way? Why do I not have arms? Why do I not have legs? Why can't I do anything that other people do easily? Why is everything difficult for me? Why me? Could have done that. I don't know, in fact, in my own human nature, I don't know that I would have blamed him for doing that, if I can be real honest. He could have been angry. could have been bitter. could have had resentment towards God. But instead, he said, this is my situation. This is the cards I've been dealt I'm going to allow this situation to give God glory. Only God can do the miraculous through a situation like that. And in this story that we're reading in John chapter 9, Jesus is saying that this man who was born blind, not for any particular reason, other than the fact that this now allows God to do the miraculous through him. We continue the story. Verse 5, it says, While I am in the world... I am the light of the world. This was Jesus speaking. It says, After saying this, he spit on the ground, made some mud with the saliva, and put it on the man's eyes and said, Go, he told him, wash in the pool of Siloam. So the man went and washed and came home seeing. The third thing that we can learn from this story is that God often uses uncommon methods to answer our prayers. Did you know that there are four different accounts in the Gospels of Jesus healing a blind man? In Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, there's four different records of that taking place. There's another one found in Luke chapter 18. Starting in verse 5, it says, As Jesus approached Jericho, a blind man was sitting by the roadside begging. When he heard the crowd going by, he asked what was happening, and they told him, Jesus of Nazareth is passing by. He called out, Jesus, son of David, have mercy on me. Those who led the way rebuked him and told him to be quiet. But he shouted all the more, son of David, have mercy on me. Jesus stopped and ordered the man to be brought to him. When he came near, Jesus asked, what do you want me to do for you? Lord, I want to see, he replied. Jesus said to him, receive your sight, your faith has healed you. 
And immediately he received his sight and followed Jesus, praising God. When all the people saw it, they also praised God. Here are two different stories with the exact same outcome by completely different routes. We just read an account where Jesus is just walking by and there's a man and they say, bring the man to Jesus. And Jesus says, hey, your faith has healed you. And that guy gets up and he can see and it's incredible and it's awesome and we celebrate that. But then there's another one in John chapter 9 that we're reading about that he's blind as well. And rather than Jesus just saying, hey, your faith has healed you, he says, hang on a second and think about this for a moment. It's a little weird what Jesus does. Like we know the story and we've read it and we know the outcome and it's awesome and it's woo, great, Jesus did a miracle, it's great. But if you really think about what's taking place, it's strange. Bear with me for a minute. In this other story, Jesus walks up, says, your faith has healed you. You can see it's great. This other one, Jesus is having this conversation with the disciples. No, he didn't sin. His parents didn't sin. This has happened so that a miracle can happen. Wait a minute. Jesus turns around and spits in the dirt. If you're just standing off to the side and you're watching this, it's weird. Like, there's no getting around it. It's just a little strange. Jesus turns, spits in the mud, and he maybe is like, hey, Peter, can you hand me a stick? And he takes the stick, and he, like, stirs it up to make, like, mud. And if that's not weird enough, then he picks it up and starts wiping it on the guy's face. It's just weird, y'all. Like, we look at it, and we read it, and we're like, this just is Jesus. But if you were there watching it take place, it's a strange moment in your life. Like, I watched this guy spit and then wipe it on this guy's face. It's gross. Like, it's just gross. If we can be real honest, it's a little weird. And then he tells him, he says, I need you to now go and wash in the pool of Siloam so that then you can see. One guy, your faith has healed you. You can see now. Another guy, spit, dirt, mud, spit mud on eyes. Now go wash it off, and then you will be able to to see. Sometimes, if I go back to that third point I read a minute ago, sometimes God often uses uncommon methods to answer our prayers. I feel like church, sometimes in my life, I'll just speak for me, I won't speak for you. Maybe you're better at this than I am. Sometimes I can play the comparison game. God, you did this in their life that way. I kind of expected in my life to go the same way. God, you answered their prayers in this specific way That seems really nice, God. I want my answers in the exact same way. The reality is that sometimes God's going to choose, and maybe it's even a crazy, weird way of spit mud. He's going to choose different ways to answer different prayers. If I could ask you a question today, are you okay if God doesn't write your story the same as he writes someone else's? Are you okay knowing that God answered one prayer. And I don't know that this guy's ever even heard of the other guy when Jesus just walked up and said, your faith has healed you. I don't know if he knew that story. But are you okay knowing that God answered your prayer or somebody else's prayer in one way, and it's just, bam, easy, done. And then you, you've got to get spit mud put on your face, and then you've got to get up, and you've got to go, and you've got to wash it off yourself in order for your miracle to happen. Further than that other question, are you okay if you have to work a little harder for your miracle than someone else had to. It's easy for us to say, yeah, absolutely, no problem. But if you really think about it, one guy just instantaneous. Your faith has healed you. Another guy has to go through steps and a process to get his miracle. Continuing the story, 
verse 80, it says, His neighbors and those who had formerly seen him begging asked, Isn't this the same man who used to sit and beg? Some claimed that he was. Others said, No, he only looks like him. But he himself insisted, I am that man. The fourth thing that we can learn from this story is when we let Jesus work, others notice. Here's a man who from birth has sat and he's begged for everything he's got. He was just hoping somebody dropped some change in his pocket. He's hoping somebody had some scraps left over from a meal that they brought and sat next to him so he'd have something to eat. He's just a beggar. Couldn't have a job, couldn't do anything for himself. He was blind. He couldn't do anything except sit and hope that someone would feel sorry for him and give him money that day or help him that day. And so people that he's known his whole life, his neighbors, people that have walked by seeing him beg, when he has this miracle take place, when he allows God to work on his life, maybe it was in a weird way, but he allowed God to work on his life, they didn't even recognize him. They didn't even know who it was. When we allow God to come into our lives, when we allow God to transform our heart, when we allow God to do crazy things in us and radical things in us, others notice there's something different about you. You're not talking the same way you were talking. You're not doing the same things you were doing. You're not going to the same places or posting the same posts that you were posting on social media. What's changed? Is that the same person? You don't even act the same. I love when I meet people that I've known prior to them coming to salvation, and then I run into them a couple weeks, a couple months later, and we have a conversation, and I'm like, you're not even the same person. The way you talk, the way you smile, the way you're passionate and excited, totally opposite of what you used to do. I love those moments because when we allow God to truly see the deepest, darkest parts of our lives, the things that we have thought nothing can do, nothing can happen to change this, we're not even recognizable to those who know us the most. If we continue reading, verse 10, it says, How then were your eyes opened? They asked. This is the same conversation. The people that didn't recognize him, they asked him, How then were your eyes opened? They asked. He replied, The man they called Jesus made some mud and put it on my eyes. He told me to go to Siloam and wash, so I went and washed, and then I could see. I was only in that experiment, experience for just about an hour. But when I came back out at Atlantic Station and I could see again, I was looking at the trees, and I was looking at the sun, and I was looking at the buildings, and I was so appreciative of all that I could see again. Here's a guy, blind from birth. He's never seen anything. Imagine, he has the spit mud on his face, he goes to Siloam, probably kneels down, gets some water in his hands, puts it over his eyes, starts washing the mud. You got to... You know, when you wash your face, you kind of open your eyes a little bit, but you got to get them wet again so you don't open them all the way. You got to imagine that in that moment, like he kind of saw a gleam of light and it excited him a little bit. So he reached down and got more water and starts splashing his face to get all the mud off. 
And he probably wiped his eyes to get all the water away from his eyes. And then he opened his eyes. And for the very first time in his entire life, he could see. He could see the birds that he's heard chirping his entire life. He could see the trees that all he's ever heard was the rustling of the leaves in the wind. He could see the color of the people's eyes that he's had conversations with. Maybe he could see the mountains. Maybe he could see the bodies of water. He could see the water, the pool of Siloam for the first time ever. But I love my favorite part of this story. Is I think for me, if I got sight for the first time in my life, I would be going everywhere and seeing everything for the first time. But I absolutely love that the very first thing that this guy does is he goes, he finds his neighbors, goes and finds those that he knows the closest, and he tells them all that God's done for him. Hey, there's this guy named Jesus, and he just did the most incredible thing. Like, it's me, I promise. It's the same guy that you've known. I've always been blind, but now Jesus has moved in my life, and now I can see, and it's incredible. And I just, before I did anything else, I had to come and I had to tell you what Jesus has done for me. The first thing he did is he shared his story. The fifth thing that we can learn from this story today is that we need to be willing to share our story at Canton Church, we have our, our mission statement. It's our, to help people live a Christ-centered life, especially those disconnected from Christ. That's why we exist. We want to help people live a Christ-centered life. We really believe that there's four pillars that are ways to do that. The first one is loving God. We believe in order to have a Christ-centered life, you have to, you have to be in a loving, godly, really you have to be in a loving relationship with God. You do that through corporate worship. It's coming and experiencing God, and learning in church, and worshiping in church, but it also takes place outside of church. It's, it's doing personal devotion, it's praying, it's reading your Bible, it's spending time one-on-one with God, building a relationship. Second one is making friends. That's joining a life group. That's being in community with other believers, people that are trying to live for the same things as you are, trying to, to chase God and pursue God with everything they have. It's doing life with other believers part of living the Christ-centered life. Third one is serving others. Christ came to this earth not only to die for our sins. We're celebrating that in two weeks. It's going to be awesome. You don't want to miss Easter Sunday, but he also came to give us the example to live by, and that was to have a servant's heart. Christ came not to be served, but to serve. And so we believe in order to live a Christ-centered life, you've got to be a servant. And the fourth and the final one, and the one that it's easy for us to just kind of skim over, like, if I do the first three really good, I don't have to do the fourth one. The fourth one is share your story. Pastor Mark, our senior pastor of both campuses, he's speaking down in Marietta today. He has a saying that he says all the time, if you don't have a God story, you're a God story in the making. And I love that story. I love that saying, because what that says to me is that every person that has a relationship with Christ has a God story. God's done something in your life. He's changed you. He's transformed your heart. He's brought you out of depression. Maybe he has worked an absolute miracle in your life. But we all have a God story. God saved us from something or God's kept us from something. And I love, if we get nothing else out of this story, 
the moment the man can see. He goes and he finds those closest. He says, I've got to tell you what God's done in my life. Church, we are called to go and to tell others about Christ and to tell them what He's done for me. Every one of us, not just me because I'm on a stage, every one of us are called with that mission to go. Go to the extents of the earth. And you know what? Canton, Georgia, your neighborhood, your neighbors are included in that. I speak to middle schoolers and high schoolers a lot more than I speak to adults. So I'm really used to having to be corny and a little cheesy to get, a, get anything across to them half the time. And I love it. So I'm going to be a little corny and a little cheesy for a moment, but you're just going to have to bear with me and you're just going to have to deal with it. If it bothers you, I'm so sorry. But there's an old saying, an old song that if you've been in church any period of time, you've probably heard. just says, this little light of mine, I'm going to let it shine. This little light of mine, I'm going to let it shine. Hide it under a bushel, no, I'm going to let it shine. We've probably all heard this at one time or another in our lives. Church, what I'm asking of you today is the light that God, when you entered into a relationship with Him, has put inside of each and every one of us. What are you doing with it? Are you sharing it? Are you saying, hey, God's done this in my life. I just want you to know because He's incredible. He just put mud on my face. It's weird, but it's awesome. Like God's doing cool things in my life. I just want you to know about it. If you just, if you just pursue God, God will do crazy things in your life. It doesn't matter that you've dealt with that your whole life. Like God can reach into those deep, dark places and he can bring light to them. Are you hiding it? Keeping it to yourself? Are you saying, I just want you to know just a little bit about what God's doing for me I'll close with this final question and then I'll pray if God is the light of the world how do you let that light shine through your life if he's the light of the world if he is everything and we've got just a little bit of that light in us how are we shining it how are we letting others see him through the way that we live? Let's pray. God, I thank you so much for this day. God, I thank you for this group of people and their heart for you and their heart for others. And God, I just pray right now, not for just a blanket prayer over this room, but God, I pray for each person individually that their story, that their God's story that the light that is in them could be seen by others. God, I pray for a boldness in every one of them to share their story. Pray for a boldness and a courage in every one of them for that little light in them to not be hidden under a bushel, but God, that that little light in every one of them can be seen by others by the way they live, by the actions they take, by the words they speak. 
and the words of my mouth and the meditation of my heart. God, let everything we do be acceptable in your sight. God, I love you and I thank you. In your name I pray. Amen. Thanks again for listening today. If you would like more information about today's message or about our church, we invite you to visit us at cantonchurch.com or on Facebook at facebook.com slash cantonchurchga. 